So here we are. We have arrived at our final study in the letter to the Galatians, and I trust that God has uh, used this in our lives to uh, strengthen us in our faith and to um, just establish us more so in his grace, because that's really uh, the theme of the letter. Paul, of course, is defending his gospel, the gospel of grace, but it's not just the theme of the letter. Uh, Grace is really the theme of the New Testament. That's, you know, if you, if you could just put one big theme over the New Testament, it's, it's the grace of God through Christ. And so that is, um, what Paul has uh, contended for here in Galatians. And what we want to do today as we come to this final uh, study together is uh, just kind of walk through the verses like we did uh, previously and then come back and really focus in on verse 15. So that'll be our, our primary focus today, verse 15. But let me just uh, you know walk us real quickly through the verses. We, we looked at this previously. Paul uh, wrote this letter himself, which was really an expression of his deep uh, affection for them because uh, Paul apparently had a, um, an eye condition that would have limited him from being able to do that. But he, but he did it here and he mentions it. And, um, and then he went on to uh, speak about uh, the false teachers. Their, the whole motive was self-centered. They wanted people to follow after them and they wanted to be able to glory in their own um, superior spirituality or morality. Uh, Paul said, God forbid that I should glory or boast uh, in anything but the cross. And having said that, he then, uh, in verse 15 he says something very similar to what he's previously said because in uh, verse six of chapter five, he says, uh, for circumcision um, avails nothing, for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. In the previous chapter, he said, but faith working through love is what the, the goal is. Now he says the same thing, except he says uh, the goal is a new creation. And then he goes on and he says, as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So as many as are walking uh, according to this rule of grace, according to this rule of, of no boasting in the flesh, but only boasting in Christ, peace and mercy be upon them. And, and of course, it's only if we are uh, founded in the grace of God that we're going to have peace because as long as I'm trying to earn my salvation, as long as I'm trying to work my way into God's favor, ultimately into heaven, uh, I'm never going to be at peace, or at least not for very long, because uh, everything's going to be contingent on my performance. But peace is the natural result of understanding and and being established in God's grace. So um, as many as walk according to this rule, this rule of Grace, And then he says in verse 17, uh, from now on, let no one trouble me for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. So here at the end of the letter, it's almost like Paul is just saying, you know what? I'm done with this conversation. 
Uh, these, these people who are trying to trip you up are uh, nothing. They have no standing. Um, they, they've, not, they've done nothing for the kingdom of God. And I'm, I'm finished with this discussion with them. Uh, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And just, just a quick comment before we move on. You know, this is so often how it is. Those who do the least for the kingdom oftentimes criticize those who do the most for the kingdom. So, you know, today, especially as we live in this, you know, crazy world of the internet and all of that, uh, you, you know, anybody who's, who's really serving Christ and making an impact, you can find tons and tons of criticism uh, regarding them all over the internet. And nine times out of 10, the people that are criticizing them are the people that have never really done much of anything. And so it's always, you know, sort of ironic. You just look at it and think, really? You, so what gives you the authority to even talk about this? What, you know, what exactly have you done uh, for the advancement of the kingdom besides just sit in your uh, bedroom and piddle around on your computer? You know, that's kind of what it amounts to. You've heard the term uh, armchair quarterbacking. An armchair quarterback, right, is a, is a guy who sits in his armchair watching the game, absolutely convinced the quarterback on the field's an idiot and he could play 10 times better. Only problem is he's never played a football game in his life, so he has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. And there's people like that. That's who Paul's talking about in his days. He's like, you know what? We're done with this conversation. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Until you've been beaten for the gospel, until you've suffered shipwreck for the gospel, until you've been stoned for the gospel, don't talk to me about the gospel. <laughs> that, that's really what Paul is saying here. So, and then he finalizes with verse 18, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So we today are going to spend the rest of our time focusing in on verse 15 because it's in this 15th verse that Paul sums up in one sentence the objective, the goal, the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is a new creation. This is what God intended when he sent Christ into the world. This is what God intended as the gospel would go forth. Not that uh, people would you know, leave their religion for another religion, not to develop a, a new religious system. See, some people may mistakenly think, and it's, it's very common, especially in the, the sec, from the secular standpoint, that Jesus founded a new religion. So, you know, you've got uh, the, the so-called great religions of the world. And you've got um, Buddhism and Hinduism and Judaism and Islam and you've got the respective, you know, founders, supposedly, of these religions. And then, of course, you've got the Christian religion, and Jesus was the founder of that. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to start a new religion. There's plenty of religion in the world when Jesus came. Jesus came into the world to make people a new creation. He came into the world to bring us into a personal relationship with God, not to start a new religion that has its uh, particular uh, rules or uh, religious rituals, uh, external conformity to a moral standard. Th those are the things that you see in religion. Jesus came to bring us 
a whole new life. That's what he came to do. And that's what Paul is saying. So when he says that circumcision nor uncircumcision avail anything. Really, Paul's just saying, look, you know, this is not the point. This is not what the, the gospel was sent into the world for. So we could get all bound up in these kinds of ritualistic things. No, the gospel came into the world to give us a new life. This was the message of the prophets. It was the message of Jesus when he was here on earth. Uh, It was the message that the apostles took into the world. If we think about the prophets, if you go back to um, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, there the Lord speaking through Jeremiah the prophet, he talked about a day that he would make a new covenant and it wouldn't be like the previous covenant. He said for the previous covenant, the people broke that covenant. He said but he would make a new covenant where he would put his law. The Lord said, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. All shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. So the prophets talked about a day when God would do this new thing. Now, notice something here. I'm going to put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. One of the ways we can differentiate between religion and the gospel is to understand that one is external, the other is internal. You see, religion is external. It's, it's out there. It's, a, it's a, a list of do's and don'ts. It's a, it's a ritual that you go through. And you, you do all of this with the hope of, um, you know, changing yourself on the inside. But the problem is it doesn't work. You can't be changed that way. That's really what the, what the law did. That was the first covenant. So God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with them. I am going to put my law in their mind and in their heart. So you see, now what we're talking about is something internal. And that's what the gospel is about. It's about God changing us from the inside out. It's about God coming in and and doing a work inside of us that results in us living differently. It's not trying to live differently and hopefully that's going to make us better people on the inside. You know, again, that, that doesn't work. Jesus illustrated this with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the guys in his generation who knew the Bible better than anybody else. They adhered to the religious rules more strictly than anyone else. But Jesus said concerning them that they were like uh, a cup that was washed on the outside, but inside it was full of corruption. You see, that's, that's what you end up with. You know, think of a bottle or a cup or a glass with some putrid liquid in it. And uh, you put a, a lid on it and you polish it up really nice. And you look at it, you might think, wow, this, this looks good. I wonder what this is. This is a beautiful uh, container, maybe. Uh, maybe it's even made of some sort of metal, so it's polished really finely. But you pop the lid off and it's putrid. Well, that's the way it is. Human nature is putrid. It's sinful. And you can take the outside and you can deck it with all kinds of religious uh, types of things, but it doesn't change. So God's going to do something 
in the new covenant from the inside out. Uh, the Lord spoke through Ezekiel the prophet, chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, and he said this to Israel. He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So God says, I'm going to put a new heart. You see? So that was the message of the prophets. And Jesus reiterated this when he came. Do you remember the story of Jesus having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus? It's recorded for us in the third chapter of John. And here's the significant thing about this in our context here. Nicodemus was part of that group known as the Pharisees. And Jesus referred to Nicodemus as the teacher of Israel. So Nicodemus is the, uh, he, he's kind of like the, the picture. He's the embodiment of, of the, the spiritual leadership of the nation. And Nicodemus was not a hypocrite. Most of the times when we think of Pharisees, we think of hypocrites because Jesus called them hypocrites because most of them were. But you, occasionally you found some, one of them that was sincere and Nicodemus was that. But in all of his goodness, in all of his understanding as the teacher of Israel, when he is asking Jesus essentially about, you know, how to make sure he's secured for heaven and, you know, right with God and pleasing to God, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. There's nothing that any of these rituals or, or uh, your observance of these rules, there's nothing that this can do to change your inner nature. You have to have a new birth. That was the message that Jesus brought. Something entirely new must happen. And then the gospel that went forth by the apostles, uh, Paul being one of them, of course, this was the message. So here he says, uh, a new creation is God's objective. This isn't the only place Paul used that term, a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he said this to all those that believe in Jesus. He said, if, if anyone is in Christ, they are an altogether new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. So this is God's goal, if you will, through the gospel, to recreate us in the image of of his son. You know, in uh, James, uh, the first chapter of James, it says, um, it refers to us as being the first fruits uh, of, of his, I can't remember the exact wording right now, uh, but the idea behind it is that we are the first specimens of a new creation. So God is recreating the universe and he's starting with human beings. And we are recreated as we put our faith in Christ. So that's what we want to focus on, this, this whole idea of being a new creation. And let me just say this up front and I'm gonna say it at the end as well because this is where we always somehow uh, lose it. We are, if you today are a believer in Jesus, if you have given your life to him, you've surrendered to him as, as the Lord of your life, if that's you, you are 
present tense, a new creation. You're not becoming a new creation. You are a new creation. And I say this because inevitably we, we lose sight of the, of the present tense reality and we end up thinking like, okay, uh, a new creation. Yes, I've got to be a new creation. How do I be a, a new creation? I don't want anybody to leave here today saying, all right, so the message was about how do I make myself a new creation? Uh, that's not the message. The message is you are a new creation already. So the reality is, since this is what happens to a person when we receive Christ, when, when we're in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So what we want to, to just kind of look at is just what that looks like. We are a new creation. We're recreated through the power of the Spirit. And so it's not that I'm, I'm trying to become something. It's that this is who I am. Now I just need to realize it and let this work itself out. Let it work itself into me thoroughly and let it work itself out from me. So here's where we start. As a new creation, we have been given a new nature. That's where it starts. The problem is our nature, right? Right? We're, it's, it's our human nature. It's our, our human nature is our sinful nature. And so if, we're, if there's ever going to be any hope for anything, we have to have a new nature. And that's exactly what happens as a new creation. I am given a new nature. And Peter puts it this way. He says that we have become partakers of the divine nature. So what God has done is he has put his very nature into us. So he's given us a new nature. Now, we all know what it's like to um, have a, maybe, maybe an evil desire or to have a, um, or, you know, to, to say things or to react in a certain way that we know in the end is wrong. And, but oftentimes, what do we do when we do that, what do we say? We say, well, you know, it's just the way I am. Well, you know, hey, it's just my nature. Or we might say about a certain thing, well, you know, hey, it's just natural. And, but the thing is actually wrong. But we say, well, it's just natural. Well, you know, it's true. It is just natural. But the problem is our nature is contaminated by sin. So we need a new nature, and that's what we get through faith in Christ. God gives us a new nature. That new nature, then, is going to bring us a new understanding. I have a new nature. Now I have a new understanding. Now I see things completely differently than I previously saw them. I'm looking now at the world through a different lens than I had looked at it through before. Before I saw the world through the lens of my sinful nature. Now I see the world through the lens of the new nature and through God's word. So I have now a new understanding. I have a new way of thinking. I remember a, a friend of mine who came to the Lord many years ago and uh, nobody in his family appreciated the fact that he had become a follower of Jesus. 
And one day his wife said to him, she said, you know, ever since you found that church and got hooked up with those Christian people and all of that, you know, ever, ever since that, uh, you know, you're, you're confused now. Your life is just full of confusion. And he looked at her and he said, really? He said, actually, I see more clearly now than I've ever seen before. Now, you know, for her, she couldn't see that at all because she was looking at everything through the lens of her own her own sinful nature, but now he's looking through the new lens and he says, no, no, I'm, I'm not confused. I, things are clear. And that's what happens. God gives us a new understanding. Some years ago, I, I actually told this story the other day to the, I was sharing with the college students and I was telling them about um, just this, you know, how God, gives us a new understanding, helps us to see things completely differently than we previously saw them. And, and I was commenting on how not everybody gets this because not everybody uh, went through that kind of transition in the same type of way. And the illustration I was giving was my wife and I. So my wife was raised as a Christian. And so from the time she was a small child, She's had that influence of the scripture in her life and she's seen you know, things through the biblical worldview. I wasn't raised like that. I didn't always think like that. So one time many years ago, and I can't remember the exact details of it, but uh, there was something that happened in the public realm. And I think it was with a politician or something, you know, some immorality or, or something like that that went on. I, I really remember this conversation because at a certain point as we were hearing about you know, all the gory details of it. Uh, she just said in disgust, like, oh, I cannot believe that anybody could possibly think like that. Oh, just, you know, she's just disgusted and just couldn't understand how anybody could think that way. And I said, well, unfortunately, dear, uh, I totally get it. I can understand it because I used to think like that. I used to think exactly like that. I don't think like that anymore because I have been given a new understanding. See, when I used to see the, the world through the lens of my sinful nature, then I, 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 that's how I saw it. But now that I view the world through the new nature in God's word, I see things differently. Now, this is one of the reasons why people just don't get us once we become Christians. Because they, don't, they, they can't, it's like they can't get it. It's like, what do you mean? What do you mean God talks to you? That's ridiculous. What do you mean you're not going to have sex before marriage? What, what's the matter with you? Everybody does that. You're supposed to do that, right? So, you know, in our world, we, we become a, a real enigma to people when our changing, our, 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 our thinking changes. But that's what happens. We get a new understanding, which then leads to a new lifestyle. If I've got a new nature with a new understanding, a new worldview, then that's going to change the way I live, right? It changes my behavior because now I understand that uh, my previous behavior, that some of that was wrong and it was unpleasing to God. And plus now God has put his nature in me. So since God's nature is in me, then God does not do these things or delight in these things. He doesn't take pleasure in these things. So that very new nature is going to be causing me to have a change of behavior. 
but not just behavior. I want to broaden it to just more of a lifestyle change. That's what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. When you become a new creation, you have a lifestyle change. And you have different desires that develop. And you have different interests. And things that you formerly were interested in and maybe even really passionate about and, and dedicated to, you know, those things are just not, you're just not there anymore. And things that you would have never dreamed that you would be passionate about, suddenly you're passionate about these things. You're passionate about uh, the Bible. You want to read the Bible. You want to understand what the Bible says. Before, the Bible was like, what? Why would anybody read the Bible? But now you're like, no, I, I, I just, you know, no, I, sorry, I'm not going to go. Uh, won't be able to meet you tonight for the party. Uh, I'm going to stay home and read my Bible. People are like, what? Why would you do that? That's nuts. But you see, that's the lifestyle change that happens. Or instead of, you know, going and doing this one thing that, that we did, you know, no, I'm, I'm going to go uh, meet with the, the believers. I'm, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to an event where the Christians are. And your lifestyle changes. Your, your interests change. This is what happens. And like I said, and like you know, and maybe some of you are even experiencing this right now, uh, your, your peers, your friends, the people that you were formerly uh, closely connected with, they just like think, man, you, something's happened. You've just gotten way, way too weird. And yet for you, it's just so obvious that this is the, the life that, that I'm supposed to live because this is just where my interests are now. I'm no longer interested in those things. And so we have the, the change of lifestyle. We have a change. Uh, we, we're given new affections is what it comes down to. The things I used to love, I don't love anymore. And things that I never imagined loving, those are the things I love. I used to love myself mainly. And I proved that by everything revolving around myself. And everything was meant to in the end, please me or promote me or, you know, whatever it might have been. But now my affection is for Christ. And I want to glorify him. And I want my life to make a difference in the uh, exaltation of, of who he is. And as Paul would say to the Colossians, um, he actually exhorted them, set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died with Christ, and now your life is hidden in Christ, with God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then we shall also appear with him in glory. Therefore, mortify, put to death the deeds of the body. And he goes on, he talks about you know, fornication and, and deceit and, and those kinds of things. But it's a change in affection. So my affections are no longer for the things of the earth. It's, it's not really the things in the world that, that I used to be so passionate about, that I used to be so devoted to, that I used to be so wrapped up in as part of 
you know, this is, this is who I am and this is what I have to have, uh, that all changes. I have now new affections. My affections are for the things of heaven. There's that great hymn that speaks of um, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what happens. When you, when you realize who Christ is and you begin to see him in his glory, you know, that's, your heart is there. And the earth, you're like, ah, you know, I, I, I don't really, just not, I'm just not into that anymore. And it's not even necessarily you know, sinful stuff. It's obviously sinful stuff, but it can be so many other things. The things that you were once so passionate about, the things that you once lived for, the things you w- once couldn't even imagine not being devoted to or, or in pursuit of. It's just kind of like, well, you know, not really into that anymore. Our affections change. We have new affection. We have, of course, a new purpose. As a new creation, God gives us a new purpose. He actually begins to uh, reveal to us what the purpose of our lives is. This is, this is life. We, we go through life outside of Christ without understanding our purpose. So many people, especially in our Western world where we have oh, kind of had the best of times and the best of things, how is it that people who are so full of uh, material things and uh, you know, affluence and all of that, how, how is it that so many are at that place where they're just like, you know, uh, life is meaningless? There, there's, there's just no purpose in life. Well, that's just, just showing us that the things that people are so often striving for and thinking that they're going to find fulfillment through, they, those things never really can do it. But when a person comes to Christ and it becomes a new creation, there's a whole new sense of purpose. Now, oh, oh, life has meaning. Oh, I'm here for a reason. I'm not here. This isn't an accident that I'm here. And it's not an accident that I'm here at this time. I'm here at this time because God has a purpose for my life. And it's only when we discover that there is a purpose for our lives that we can then experience fulfillment. You see, I'm fulfilled through the realization that my life does have meaning, that there is a purpose. And as I walk in that purpose, as I live that out, that's where fulfillment comes. That's where contentment comes from. You know, everybody's running around trying to find fulfillment. Everybody's running around trying to find significance. Everybody has this... Uh, it's, it's like a thirst, but it's not for H2O. It's for something beyond that. It's, it's for, um, well, Jesus put it this way. It's for living water. And Jesus said that to a, a woman. Remember in John chapter four, where Jesus speaks to this woman at the well, and uh, he's talking to her about water. 
he knows that this woman is, is thirsting for significance. He knows that she's thirsting for fulfillment. He asks her for uh, a drink of water to start the conversation. And she goes into all kinds of explanations about the well is deep and all of this kind of stuff. And, and Jesus says, if you knew who I was, and if you knew the gift of God, you would ask me and I would give you living water. See, Jesus knew that this woman was thirsting for fulfillment. She was thirsting for significance. And we know that she was when, as Jesus carries on with her, and he says, at a certain point, he says, go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. See, Jesus put the finger on that thing that was her thirst. She was thirsting for significance. She was thirsting for fulfillment. She was thirsting for acceptance. She was thirsting for meaning. And she thought that men were going to do that for her, but they hadn't. Jesus said, I will give you living water. And that's what happens in this new life in Christ. We come to understand our uh, purpose we come to know that we are significant. We come to understand that life does have meaning and it's all wrapped up in the person of Christ. And so it's through uh, pursuing the purposes that God has for us that we find the fulfillment that eludes us apart from that. But there's also along with this, there's a new power. You see, what's happened is God, as we've already pointed out, in, in God giving me a, a new nature, what he's actually done, is, as I said earlier, is he's put his nature in me, which gives me the power now to do the things that God has called me to do. It gives me the power to resist the things that are contrary to God's will for my life. So I have this new power. I have this, uh, this victory over the things that used to keep me in bondage and dominate my life. I have a victory over that, and I have a power to move forward and to actually do the things that God has ordained for me to do. And so there's a new power, and finally, we have a new destiny. We have a new destiny, and that new destiny is to be with Christ in glory, in the fullness of his kingdom. And because that's our new destiny, we're not all hung up with or bogged down in the present life because we know that the present life is brief, like a vapor that appears for a moment and then passes, but we are keeping our lives for the future. We have a certain future. We have a certain destiny, and that destiny is to be with Christ forever in his glorious kingdom. And I was, my sons and I were out yesterday, my oldest son's here, because uh, he's going on a trip with us. So him and my younger son, we were together, we were having coffee, we were talking, and we were talking about, um, my, my youngest son was telling us about a friend who he's been having a conversation with who just, you know, for him, it's like, you know, I look like the whole idea of heaven and stuff. I, I'm not really interested in that. You know, it just seems boring to me. And my son was telling us, my youngest son, that when, you know, when he was younger 
And people were trying to explain to him why he really did want to go to heaven because, you know, it's going to be so great. And then the explanation is like, we're going to sing and we're going to worship and it's going to be wonderful. And he's like, well, yeah, that still doesn't sound that great to me. He's being very honest. And so it brought us around to talking about how we as human beings, we can take something so magnificently glorious and because of our lack of understanding or our lack of uh, imagination or whatever, we can reduce it to being something boring. And it just makes me think, you know, let's just think about heaven for a moment. Because still, for some people, you say, well, you know, do you want to go to heaven or hell? I mean, you know, you hear people today say all the crazy things. I want to go to hell, man. That's where all my friends are going to be. They're going to party in hell. Heaven is going to be boring. Well, let's just say right now that that None of that is a reality. You're not going to have any friends in hell, okay? There's no friendship there. And there's certainly no party there. But, you know, people say, well, you know, the alternative is, is you know, heaven and boring and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Listen, just think about this. Think about the earth and all of the magnificence of the world. And just think of, you know, as wonderful as the world is. And, and I mean, let's just take human influence out of it. You know, there's many great cities and buildings and all of those kinds of, that's good. But let's just strip the world of all of that right now. And let's just think about it in as just as it was originally created. Just the, the beauty of nature, all of that sort of stuff. And, and it's magnificent, right? I mean, I've seen some really amazing cities and buildings in my lifetime, but none of those things compare to some of the, just what we would call like a natural landscape. None of that compares to, um, you know, what you might see in an island in the South Pacific or what you might see, you know, in a forest in South America or, you know, wherever. I mean, if, you know, just you name the spot. I mean, there are obviously some absolutely majestic places in the world and there are some amazing things, you know, animals, creatures, food, fruit. All of that kind of stuff. Okay, so take that. You think heaven is going to be less than that? No, take all the glory of that. And, and of course, we are even experiencing it under a curse from sin. But, you know, if you remove the curse of sin, my goodness, what would it be like then? You have all the animals and everything. Well, listen, the future that God has for us is obviously better than the present. And I think I could safely say that it is infinitely better. So do not think about heaven as some boring place that you're going to just have to sit around and worship and, oh, you know, that's going to get old. For one, when we see God in his glory, I do think that just worshiping him forever will not be anything that we would be disappointed in. But setting that aside, just the, the, the new creation. You know, the Bible says that God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth that's going to last forever. So if this current, present heaven and earth, this present universe, if it's as glorious as it is, the, the new one is going to exceed it immensely. So that's our destiny. We have a new destiny. And that's because we are a new creation in Christ. So, 
as I said, I'm going to close with a reminder. This is not something you have to work at. This is something that you are. If you're a believer in Jesus today. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus in the sense that you've never personally received Christ, then you are not yet a new creation. And maybe you're trying to be good. You know, before I became a new creation in the sense of, you know, receiving Christ and becoming a a Christian in the biblical sense, you know what I tried to do? I tried to be good. I gave it the good old college try, you know, and try to be a good person, a moral person, an upright person, a kind person, a generous person, all of that. And, you know, I, I would have a little bit of success, but there was always a setback. And it seemed like I I would just get like one area where I thought, man, you know, I am actually doing pretty good. And then, oh, this other area over here was a mess though. Could just never bring it together. And I was trying to be nicer and I was trying to keep the, the things I read in the Bible. This is the way you ought to be toward other people. And I was trying to do that. I was was even, you know, going to church a little bit and thinking, okay, but you know, none none of it worked. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been trying. But what you need is you need to work from the inside out. You need to open your heart and let Christ in. He'll make you a new creation. And all of that stuff will then begin to flow from your life. But this is who we are in Christ We are a new creation. And as Paul says here, and like I said earlier, he sums up really the whole argument in this one sentence. It's not about circumcision. It's not about uncircumcision. It's not about religion. It's it's not about morality. It's not about that stuff. It's about a new creation. That's what God wants to do. And you see, we ought to be an enigma to the world. We ought to be an enigma both to the religious and to the non-religious. They ought to look at us and go, wait, this person doesn't fit into either one of these categories. Because it's not about that. It's about a new creation. And through Christ, if anyone is in Christ, they are an altogether new creation. So let that new life that's in you Here's the deal. We're just letting that permeate us. We're letting that take us over entirely. And then as that is permeating our lives and taking us over, then of course, that's what's coming out of our lives. So that's how it works. Now, the very last words of Paul here are, I believe, irony. Even though this is a common way Paul ends his letters, I think for the Galatians, there's a bit of irony in this last statement. Because remember, the whole argument here has been about grace and law, or law and grace, as they've tried to substitute grace with the law. And here Paul says, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. It's almost like I said, he's like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to tell you one final time. It's about grace. There, there is no, there's no more argument. I, I'm going to leave you 
with the very thing that you've been letting slip through your fingers, I'm going to just point you back there one more time and just leave it as the final word. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's how it all works. That's how it all happens. Like I said, it's the theme of the New Testament. It's the grace of God. God saving us, blessing us, keeping us all through our simple faith in Christ. We've trusted him. And now, God's grace is doing the rest. So let's not forget that ourselves and let's rest in that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ being with us, being with our spirit. So Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you that it is, in the end, it's, it is your grace that saves us. It's your grace that keeps us. It's your grace that's going to lead us home. And Lord, it's your grace and that new life of the Spirit through your grace that causes us to be new people with new understanding and new lifestyle and new affection and new purpose and new power and in the end, a new destiny. So Lord, may we just embrace all of that. And may we experience ourselves uh, the fullness of what you intend as we go on with you. And Lord, as we live in such a messed up world with so much confusion and disorder, Lord, would you permeate our being with grace by your spirit to the extent that that would overflow and touch the lives of others. Lord, thank you that we're not bound up in a bunch of religious ritual. Thank you, Lord, that we are a new creation in Christ. Help us to realize it. Help us to live it. In Jesus' name, amen.